For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Hillary Furnish. I'm a pastor in Watertown, Wisconsin, and I'm also a grief counselor, or a bereavement counselor for a hospice in our area as well. Um, I'm married to a pastor. We've been married for about 17 years. We have four tiny humans and a whole menagerie of animals at our house. Uh, so we stay pretty busy, and our life is pretty entertaining on a daily basis because of all those creatures. So that's just a little bit about who I am. Um, but before I jump into the series, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you are already working in our hearts today, God. I just ask that as we jump back into the series and we take a look at what you have for us today, that you would just open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to comprehend what you have for us, and that we would be challenged and changed by your word, I pray in your name. Amen. So you've been going through a series called Mad. The world's gone mad. And I love that. I'm sorry. The whole time I'm thinking Alice in Wonderland. Any Alice in Wonderland fans here? Yeah, mad. But not that kind of mad. I mean, we're all mad here, but not that kind of mad. Mad is an angry. Because everywhere when we, where we turn these days, it seems like somebody's mad about something, doesn't it? It seems like somebody's mad about something. And it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. How many of you are on social media way too much like me? Yeah. Okay. And somebody's always angry about something or sharing something, either something that's happening and affecting all of us or something that's affecting just their lives that maybe they shouldn't be venting about on the internet. Um, but these things go on and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. It seems to only be increasing. We are going to talk about mad at us. And when I talk about us, I don't mean like just your neighbor, okay, <laughs> or the people in your family, but I'm talking about that within the church, the people who consider themselves followers of Christ, those are part of the faith community. Um, what happens when we get mad at one another? What happens when there's conflict within the body of Christ? Because as believers, God has set forth a vision for his people and given us kind of a plan of how he wants us to live and who he wants us to be and how we are to reflect him. And part of this we can see today in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, either on your phone or in person, go ahead and turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. A big part of God's desire is that we live in unity. And verse 3 makes it very clear that we are to make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That we're supposed to make every effort to stay unified. And this, this letter that Paul is writing is addressed to the church. That we would stay unified. Because if we are not unified, we are what? What's the opposite of unified? Divided. That we're divided. And as human beings, we are really good at creating division, aren't we? because we want to do things our way, because we have our own great ideas, and we have our own agendas, and at our heart, we tend to be pretty selfish. But God calls us to lay ourselves down, and I love verse 2, because he says that when we approach these things, we are to do it with humility, with gentleness, with patience, that we are to bear one another in love. Bear with one another in love. And with all those things, we are to make every effort to maintain unity. And it's so difficult, isn't it? In ourselves, just as we are, with our way of doing things, unity is really hard. 
But when we embrace these ideas of humbling ourselves, of being kind and gentle with one another, about being patient, and that we put love first, we can do that as the Holy Spirit allows us and enables us to do that. Because when we are mad, we respond in one of two ways, right? We either jump in and we fight, or we avoid, right? We pretend it doesn't real. Raise your hand if you're like a jump in and fight person, yeah? How many of you are like hate conflict and don't ever want to deal with it? Yeah, I see hands in the back. Yeah. And so, and that's how we respond. But what, but when this happened, it causes division. If you jump in and you get into a fight with somebody, you create division right there because you go on the offensive. You're likely going to say things you shouldn't. You're going to hurt that person. And then all their friends are going to be like, did you see what just happened? What is wrong with them? And when we avoid conflict because we think we're keeping the peace, We create division because that anger becomes what? Resentment, becomes bitterness, becomes this secret in our bellies that we're holding on to. And every time we see that person, we're just like, I'm so happy to see you. Please walk away quickly because I can't stand you. That's, That's what's happening. Our internal monologue reflects different. And it recreates division because at that moment, we are divided from that person, whether we tell them or not. And what we are asked to do as part of this unity is instead of pulling away and hiding or jumping in and throwing down, that we are to come together with humility and patience and gentleness, bearing one another with love and to work through that conflict in a united way. Now, in thinking about unity, we got to talk about what unity is not. Unity does not mean uniformity. We are, not, we are all created in God's image but we are not meant to be the same. Raise your hand if you're happy about that. I'm happy about that. I like being different. Um, Probably to a fault, like if everybody's supposed to do something, I immediately don't want to do it because I just just want to be different. And, And God created us all different. We do not all have the same talents and abilities or likes. Like if I were to do a survey on desserts, we would all have different desserts we like. Um, If I were to do a survey on the things that really bring us joy, the things that really move us, it would be different. Um, We are a very diverse bunch. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks a little bit about the importance of the diversity within the church, because here's the thing. As a church, as a church community, we are not called to all do the same thing or be the same thing. We're called to work together to be collaborative in how we approach the things that God is calling us to. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the church functions like something we're very familiar with. Verses 12 through 14 says, For ye just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, through though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. So this idea is that When we receive Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, we become part of his body, which is the church universal, right? We become part of his body and we become parts in that body. And it's important for all of those parts to function. Otherwise, we don't function, right? So the uniqueness that God gave you, those talents, those abilities, those loves, those drives, God has a purpose for that, both for your own life and then within the body. Now, I work in hospice. And when one part of the body stops working, 
it can literally be a death sentence for the rest of the body. And so when division comes in and when there's disunity and when people disagree or have issues and they shut off that part of the body because of it, the other systems are affected and start having to work harder. And we see this. We see this when church communities, when someone is missing or some people have left or things have happened. Everybody else has to work harder, don't they? And those systems can only work hard for so long until they start shutting down. And after a while, it becomes critical and the whole thing dies, right? That's what happens in the human body and that's what can happen is if we dismiss or we devalue or we don't see the the purpose in somebody and we think that they're not worth it, are you with me? It's toxic for all of us. It's not just about that person in your relationship. It's about all of us. And so unity isn't uniformity. It's embracing the diversity that comes with being created by God for his purposes uniquely so that we can all work together. So what unity really is, it is mission critical for what God wants in your life and the world around us. It's not just a great idea or some abstract and incredible thought. Like, this sounds really good. I love the idea of unity. But do we really have to do it? (laughs) Do we really have to work at this? And we absolutely do. And when we consider what Jesus made clear for his vision and his purpose for the church, and I've mentioned a little bit, um, we think about Matthew 28, 19. Let's pop over there quick. Matthew 28, 19. Really famous passage of scripture. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're given this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That was one of the big things that Jesus said. And then also in Matthew 22, and I'm just going to run over there real quick. Verses here, 37 through 38, he says, these are the greatest commandments that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So Jesus commissions us to go and preach the gospel. And this message that we take with us, a big part of that is that we are to love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourself. That we are to love God and those created in God's image. Look at your neighbor. They're created in the image of God. Just take that in for a minute. You are the Imagio Dei. You were created in the image of God. I get up in the morning and that's hard to believe when I look at myself. It's challenging sometimes to see ourselves created in the image of God, but we are created in God's image. And we are called to love others as we love ourselves. And the third part of what Jesus asked and desired for us is that we would live in unity. In John 17, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying the night that he was arrested. It says in verses 22b through 23, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He literally is asking that his followers would have the same unity as this idea of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
that three in one, that they would be so united that we would function as one. Think about that. Jesus prayed that we would function as one. I mean, when you think about Jesus praying for us, <laughs> that we would function as one, that's just mind-blowing. But that was a desire that we would live unified. And if we could give it a name, we could call it the great collaboration, because that's what it is. It's collaborating with one another. It's working with one another that we are called to love and to go, and that changes everything. Because if we don't get a hold of this part of unity, we could all by ourselves say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to love. I'm going to share this message that Christ has given me, the transformation work that God has done in my life. I'm going to tell others about it. It's going to be awesome. But we weren't called to do it ourselves. We were called to do it together. And honestly, to me, that's the hardest part. Because I was raised an American, so I was raised to be individualistic. We may not all share that background. Some people are raised in cultures where you're raised as a group. <laughs> and honestly, it'd be easier to process it if I was raised in a group because I would understand that I work with them and for them and through them. But I was raised in a culture where I work with me and for me and through me. And we have to change our thinking on that because unity within the body of Christ and fulfilling the purposes and the plans that God has given us is working with them and for them and through them to reach them. We're part of a group and we're to live unified. And if we try to function by ourselves and we try to do it on our own, we will not succeed in fulfilling the mission that we were called to. And the big part of this is that we absolutely have to make an effort. Making an effort is, isn't an option. It's what we're supposed to do. We're called to work together, and that will mean conflict. Loving others means being hurt by them. That's a guarantee. Even the people you think are the most wonderful in the whole world that you almost never fight with, at some point they're going to do or say something, and it's going to hurt you or it's going to offend you. That's the reality we live in. And Jesus knew this, and he taught the importance of reconciliation, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read an example of this in verses 22 through 24. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So there's this idea that... This idea of offering gift on the altar. Now, they lived in a, like a sacrificial system at the time, and that's the example he's giving us. But for us, this idea of coming before the Lord, when we come before God and we're taking time to pray or spend time with God, whether it's in church or at home, and we come before him and we're talking about our relationship with him or we're asking forgiveness for something or however we're communing with God at that moment, that we should come before God with a clear conscience in regards to our relationships with other people. So that means not just if you're mad at somebody, you should deal with it, 
But if you know someone has an issue with you, you should take the initiative. And that's really what's being said here, that if someone has an issue with you, if you have hurt or offended someone, even if you think it's completely stupid, even if you don't see how they could be hurt or offended by it, we are to make that first step and go to them and have a conversation and say, you know, I recognize that you are upset with me about something, and I would really love to hear more about that. I'd really love to talk to you about that because it affects our relationship and it affects our relationship with God. And I want all of us to be good <laughs> with one another. And that's really hard. Raise your hand if you think that's hard. I know I say raise your hand a lot. I'm sorry. I, I work with children a lot on Sundays. And so we, <laughs> we do a lot of this, okay? <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that passage in Ephesians about humility and patience and gentleness. If we're coming to talk to someone who has a conflict with us, that's step one. I am in the wrong in your eyes, and I want to hear more about what that means. I have done or said something that has hurt or offended you, and I would love to give you the opportunity to tell me about it so we can sort it out. And likewise, if we are in conflict with somebody else, We could stand around all day and wait for them to come apologize. But we are responsible for initiating that conversation too. That we are to go to them and say, hey, what you said, I don't think you meant it that way, really hurt me. And I would just like to talk more about that because I want us to be good with one another. I want us to have a good relationship with one another. I want us to be able to trust one another and that we ask them to acknowledge what they've done in our lives. Because that's what unity is about. It's not about sameness. It's not about everybody doing the same thing. It's about intentionally working together for one purpose. But within that, God is doing something really cool. And that God will mature us as a community as we extend grace to one another. Because that's really what this comes down to is that as we extend grace, we grow. Because the thing that I've learned about grace is I recognize the grace of God as I extend it to other people. When I think about what God has forgiven me for, when I think about the things in my life that others have had to forgive me for, and someone hurts me or does something, and I have the opportunity to either shut them out or to extend grace, when I extend grace, something happens in my heart and in my mind. And it's like I get that fresh understanding of God's love all over again. Because that love that I've received, I've then given. I want to uh, tell you one more story from scriptures that I love. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, there is a church conflict. Now, how awesome would it be if your church conflict made the Bible? Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read a little bit to you. I urge, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I asked you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So there's two women named Judea and Syntyche, 
And in the church at Philippi, they are leaders. They have worked with Paul to share the truth of the gospel. These are not just like people who occasionally come to church. They are leaders in the community. And their fight is such a big deal that Paul sitting in a prison cell has heard about it. Okay? And his desire is that they would agree in the Lord, that they would resolve whatever the issue is. And they never tell us what the issue is. I've done research. I cannot find any information as to what they were fighting about. No idea whatsoever. But something was creating total discord. And I love this. As he goes on in Philippians 4, he then says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, we pick a lot of those verses out just and use them, and memorize them. But when you put them in context with the fact that that was a response to a conflict in a church, that they were supposed to rejoice in the Lord, that the graciousness of God would be known to everyone, that that grace would be extended, that they would pray about these things, and that they wouldn't worry about it, but they would trust God. And that whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, of moral excellence, what is praiseworthy, those are the things that we should dwell on. And I would dare say dwell on those things in the person you have conflict with. When we think about someone who we have a conflict with, they immediately stop being a person and start being that issue. Am I right? They're no longer Samantha who I've loved and known for 10 years, they are Samantha who betrayed me. And all I see is betrayal. If your name is Samantha, I'm sorry. All, all she is is a betrayal. And that imagio dei, that image of God is gone and she is now an issue in my life and in my heart. But if I step back and I go before God and I reflect and I meditate on what I know about God and who God is, and what God has done in my life, and who, what God's called me to be. And I sit back and I start praying for Samantha in my situation, which is what we should do, because we need to calm down sometimes too, right? <laughs> and I begin to think about how God sees Samantha. And I begin to think about the things that are praiseworthy in her life that God has done. And I think about the things that are true about her and the things that are honorable about her and the things that are good about her. I no longer just see the conflict, I see the person again that's created in the image of God that Christ died for. And I can come with humility and patience and gentleness and I can say, listen, we have a problem and we need to sort this out. But without Christ, without grace, without any of those things, is that possible? Can I just sort it out or am I going to be mad? I'm be mad. That's, that's the truth. I know me. I'm just going to be mad. But God asks us as believers to allow God to mature us as a community when we extend grace, that we would extend grace to one another, even in significant conflict. 
that we would receive grace from one another when we are the one in the wrong. And today, as I close, I just want you to think about it. Maybe God has brought a situation or someone to your mind, and you're like, you know what? Joe and I got to talk later. Or Samantha, if you have a Samantha. Because there's something that's been bugging me, and I don't know if I can go on like this because our relationship isn't right, and God wants us to have unity. And I can show Christ's love and receive Christ's love if I sort this out. And when I say show Christ's love, receive Christ's love, it's just another way that we see God working in our lives. It's not some special thing. But for myself, it's what I've seen is that as I extend grace, the love of God becomes so real and tangible because I understand anew every time I fail, every time I fall, every time I choose to betray God in my life. That's what he does for me. And in that moment, I'm experiencing the way that God loves me for someone else. And so it's just this powerful thing that happens. And that unifies us, doesn't it? Because we understand in a different way what it is to receive and to give grace. So let's pray. Father, I thank you.